This Stand Student Podcast is brought to you by Stand, a serious educational development initiative by Irish Aid. Learn more about the work that Stand does with young people across Ireland at stand.ie. Hello and welcome to the third episode in our podcast series on the DRC, My Land, My Life, My Rights. Today we will explore the role of the government and militias in the DRC as well as human rights violations in this country. We will be also joined by Mariam Sabadogo, the Protection Coordinator for Western and Central Africa from the organization Frontline Defenders, which supports human rights advocates all around the world and who will give us a better insight into the situation that brave human rights activists are going through in the Congo today. This is an overview of some inherent human rights that are violated and government features that remain highly corrupt in this country. In terms of its last elections, the DRC has presented many political rights violations against its citizens. Although the former president, Joseph Kabila's term, was supposed to expire in 2016, it wasn't until December of 2018 that elections were held. Even when elections occurred, many opposition parties were not permitted to participate. Some voting stations opened late and observers were not allowed access into some provinces. Felix Sisekedi was elected as president, but according to some polling data, there are indications that opposition leader Martin Fadulu may have actually been elected, would have there been fair elections. In some regions, elections were postponed to a later date in 2019, supposedly due to the Ebola outbreak, which meant that by the time citizens of these regions voted, the results to the elections had already been published. State and non-state actors used violence and intimidation to disrupt elections. Minority indigenous groups are particularly marginalized in the political ambit, and women only make up 9% of the National Assembly and 6% of the Senate. The functioning of the government itself is far from promising. The incumbent president and members of the legislature exceeded their mandate by more than two years before elections last year. Freedom House also qualifies with zero out of four points as safeguards against corruption. Both the government, military forces and mineral extraction industries are extremely corrupt and appointments to high positions are often nepotist and subject to other non-transparent practices. In fact, the Congolese Association for Access to Justice found evidence that Kabila's political platform was financed with public funds. In terms of transparency, the law does not allow the public to access government information. With regards to freedom of expression, 80% of media outlets are followed by politicians and the main form of media is the radio. Even if the media has also criticized the president, many reporters have suffered detentions and physical attacks. Reporters Without Borders have denounced 121 attacks on journalists between November 2017 and November 2018. Although freedom of religion is guaranteed by the Constitution, when the Catholic Church and protesting groups pressed the government for free elections, Violence was reported in places of worship, as well as arrest of priests, church leaders and parishioners. Academic freedom is also permitted in this country. Nevertheless, 
two students were killed at the University of Kinshasa when they were demonstrating against teacher strikes. Internet and telecommunication services were also shut down twice during the elections in December 2018. NGO members who operate in the country are sometimes imprisoned and more than 30 members of the Struggle for Change group, also known as LUTA, were also arrested for demanding an audit of voter lists. A Lucha activist also died mysteriously in a fire in June last year. Although state authorities claim it was an accident, the victim's colleagues alleged the government had been responsible. There has been reported kidnappings of members of this group who were held for days by unidentified assailants. Ethnic minorities, LGBT and women face constant discrimination and members of the judiciary are appointed by the president, which leads to undoubted political corruption and manipulation. In terms of freedom of movement, there are many refugees in the Congo who flee from violence-strict regions to neighboring countries or safer areas. Nevertheless, many times they are forced to return to their non-secure regions where violence is prevalent. Sexual and gender violence is common in the Congo, especially in the most conflicted areas. Sex crimes affect women, girls and boys and are many times perpetrated by rebel fighters and government soldiers. 37% of women aged between 20 to 24 were married before the age of 18, even if the minimum age of marriage in this country is 18 years of age. In relation to economic exploitation, laws against these practices are rarely enforced and most contracts are informal. Although supposedly against the law, child labor is common in areas such as mining, street vending and agriculture, as well as recruitment of child soldiers. It could be said, the human rights in the Congo is an unknown word, and if known, one that many prefer to ignore. But what is the source of so much suffering? It is really a cumulus of many things, corruption, poverty and violence. And it is hard to know which one feeds the other. And it would be actually much easier if one could find the first link of the chain that could solve the other problems as well. The dilemma is problems may not be sequential, but rather cyclical, which means that they all feed into one another. One problem that creates much disturbance and may represent an obstacle for the fight against poverty and corruption is the ongoing violence in many of the territories in the Congo. Nevertheless, what is the source of this violence? And why does it appear to be never-ending? In the second part of this podcast, we will be diving deeper into the sources of violence in the DRC. But before this, we are joined by Mariam Savadogo, the Central and Western Africa Coordinator of the Association Frontline Defenders. to podcast number three of uh, the podcast on the DRC. 
Today we're talking with Mariam Sawadogo. She is a member of Frontline Defenders, which is an Irish organization that was founded in Dublin in 2001 and that supports human rights defenders all around the world. Mariam is a protection coordinator for Western and Central Africa. So welcome, Mariam. Thank you, thank you, thank you everyone. Thank you, Maria, for hosting me today. No, thank you, Mariam, truly. So we're going to start with the first question, if that's okay. Um, so could you give us a brief summary of what um, Frontline Defenders stands for, please? Great. Well, thank you uh, for this uh, interview. As you just mentioned, uh, Frontline Defenders or the International Foundation for the Protection of Human Rights Defenders um, is a Dublin-based organization founded in 2001 with the specific aim of uh, protecting human rights defenders at risk. Um, what we call uh, human rights defenders at risk are people who work non-violently for any of all the rights uh, enshrined in the Un Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And uh, frontline defenders mainly address um, the protection needs identified by HRD's uh, human rights defenders themselves. Uh, our headquarters is uh, in Dublin and uh, we have uh, an EU office in Brussels we, which help us with um, advocacy on the cases that we raise uh, on our daily work. We also have a regionally based field staff in the Americas, in Asia, Africa, Europe and Central Asia and the Middle East as well. So what we do is that uh, we do international advocacy on behalf of uh, human rights defenders at risk, including emergency support for those in immediate danger. We do that uh, through our grants to pay for the practical security needs uh, of human rights defenders. We also provide uh, trainings and resource materials on security and protection. Uh, including digital security and risk assessment and protection and physical uh, protection. So in addition to the trainings, we have uh, an emergency 24-hour uh, phone line for human rights defenders operating uh, in Arabic, English, uh, French, Russian and Spanish. Uh, and also, <clears throat> sorry, in emergency situations, frontline defenders can facilitate temporary relocation for human rights defenders. So whenever there's a human rights defender at risk, whether we found the case or whether the case has been um, redirected to us, we do not hesitate to you know, uh, take the lead on that and also provide the best uh, protection uh, mean for this human rights defender in accordance with whatever it needs. So yeah, this is what I could say for frontline what is the role of frontline defenders specifically in the in the DRC? Okay, so uh, regarding the work frontline has been doing in uh, DRC, uh, you have to know that frontline is currently working on a re on uh, in the DRC on a reactive basis, meaning that we are regularly in touch with human rights defenders on the ground 
on the field and also we address their needs uh, on a case-by-case -case, uh, mean uh, through our urgent appeals uh, and also our protection grants. The urgent appeals are basically an alert that we send to raise awareness and also to alert the opinion, the international or local opinion on the case of human rights defenders who has been uh, at risk given his work defending and promoting others' uh, human rights. So um, in addition to, 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 to urgent appeals, we have the protection grants that we provide to HRDs human rights defenders whenever they, they are um, in a need of, uh, for example, low, uh, legal fees and also medical uh, fees. We also provide uh, protection grants for temporary relocations in the country or sometimes outside the country, given the type of risk uh, facing by uh, the human rights defender. And also, we also provide uh, some protection grants to improve the security of the house or the, the office of the human rights defender. And uh, the DRC was one of our priority countries uh, last year. And through the prioritization of DRC, we supported uh, human rights defenders through our protection partnership, where we have been able to deliver uh, holistic support to a coalition of local NGOs uh, who had resigned to a life facing risk without knowing that there were tools and tactics to mitigate those, those risks. And uh, in, through this protection partnership, we had two trainings uh, in the DRC last year, last year. We had the risk assessment and physical protection training, and also we have a digital protection training uh, when it comes to securing uh, the laptops, the phones, uh, where, what are the what we identified with them the best and most secured way uh, to work digitally. So it was really important to make sure that the online environment of the HRDs are secured. And uh, in addition to those trainings, we have several grants. Uh, for temporary relocation, as I said earlier, and also medical and legal fees, as well as uh, grants for home and office security improvements. So basically, this is the type of support we provided to HRDs so far, and uh, we are in touch with them on a regular and daily basis to get a sense of the needs, because given the current uh, situation, the needs... Uh, I mean, the, the, the response to those needs uh, needed to be adapted to the situation. So basically, this is the work we've done, we've done uh, so far in, in the DRC. Could you tell us a little bit about any of the human rights defenders uh, with whom uh, frontline defenders have uh, some kind of contact? Uh, what are they going through right now? Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, human rights defenders and activists uh, that we have been in contact with and who are brave enough to denounce um, the violations, the human rights violations and the targeting that they are facing on a daily basis are more targeted because of the issues and the topics 
they are working on. So when it comes to uh, dealing with denouncing uh, with uh, denouncing human rights violations committed by armed groups, but also by security national uh, army or security forces, human rights defenders who are denouncing those violations are more targeted, and also those working on issues like. Um, mining and extractive industries are also facing a lot of um, repression and a lot of uh, targeting given to, to, to work. And also um, there's a violent repression of any kind of peaceful protests. In May, for example, two, two months ago, a 20-year-old activist from the citizen movement called La Lucha has been shot dead by the police while peacefully demonstrating to denounce the increase of insecurity and violence in his hometown called Beni. So this is the second killing of an activist in similar circumstances, and we are really worried about that. There's also the general impunity, arbitrary um, detention and arrest of human rights defenders. For example, uh, earlier in June, a woman human rights defender has been uh, arbitrary arrest and detained for 10 days, solely for dem peacefully demonstrating. So this is the current um, environment human rights defenders are operating in, and uh, land and environmental rights activists are also at higher risk because, as I mentioned earlier, the DRC is a really extremely rich country, and uh, the whole war started with the administration of those countries and areas where, you know, uh, reputed to be very rich in mineral uh, resources. So whenever there is a human right and activist trying to denounce the misuse of uh, those um, mining resources natural resources they are facing a lot of uh, threats death threats some are killed and uh, some are arbitrary detained so the situation of human rights defenders and activists in the drc is also very concerning and uh, we ensure that uh, um, we are in regular contact with them to ensure that their lives are not put at risk and to provide them the best and practical tools to mitigate those uh, risks. In your opinion, what action should be taken by, first of all, the, the Congolese government, but maybe as well by foreign countries, as well as NGOs to stop the violence in Congo? Well, this is a really good question because, uh, in my opinion, I think that the Congolese uh, government should address the well-grounded uh, climate of impunity in the country by bringing to, to, to the court those found responsible for human rights violations in, in the country. And also, the Congolese government should make sure that uh, the economic, social and cultural rights, as well as the uh, civil and political rights of Congolese citizens are respected through the fair redistribution of the income come, uh, from the exploitation of the natural resources. 
because it's from there that everything is started and also to make sure that access to education, healthcare, and all the primary rights are guaranteed in the country. And uh, to foreign uh, countries, especially Western countries, they should ensure that uh, to continue to work closely with, with local NGOs who are raising uh, awareness, raising voices of the other citizen. So they should continue to work closely with those local NGOs and also to continue to the advocacy for the country to be more respectful of human rights, to be more human rights friendly, and also um, make sure that, uh, you know, whenever there's a human rights defender at risk, whenever we raise, because we also, as frontline defender, we raise cases with uh, uh, Western countries who are working with uh, uh, local government, such as uh, the Congolese government. So they should ensure that whenever they are cooperating with uh, this Congolese government, that they make sure that human rights is a priority in all the co areas of the cooperation. Thank you. I know this might be kind of hard because we want to solve everything really, but if you had a little bit of magic, what would you do first? Well, this is... <laughs> I think that uh, there is not like a magical solution, but if ever <laughs> I had this magic uh, wand, I will start by handing the, the war because it all started with that and also built a country more human rights friendly and more respectful of uh, human beings. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And I'm sure what you have told us it's it's so helpful and i think we we even like now listening to you might not even get the whole picture of what is going on and it's it's just kind of so enraging and i'm sure all the people that are listening to us might be might be asking their, themselves what can we do to collaborate with these human rights activists in the in the congo so what can we do from our own respective countries to, to help these people that are fighting for, for the rights of others? Well, uh, thank you. I think that uh, you can play a more active role, even though, even, you know, being in Dublin, we, you can play a, a more active role in the promotion of human rights uh, in Congo by taking action on the cases highlighted by human, uh, human rights NGOs, such as frontline defenders, by signing the petitions, sending letters to the Congolese authorities, and also advocating and asking your own government to ensure that in the working relationship with the Congolese government, they ensure that the line respect and promotion of human rights and protection of HRDs are placed at the heart of all the different areas of cooperation. This is one where you can play a more active role by asking your own government to ensure that through their relationship with the, with the DRC, they mention 
the protection of human rights defenders and the respect of human rights generally in the country. Thank you so much, Mariam, for that insight. It's really valuable. And I will leave also the, the link uh, after this, this podcast so everyone who is listening to us can click on the Frontline Defenders page and can get more information of how to get involved in, in Ireland and in other uh, countries that you might be living in. And so thank you again so much, Mariam. That was thank great. you. Thank you very much for hosting me. It was a great pleasure for me to give you an insight of what's going on in my region, especially in the DRC. But uh, I'm really happy and glad that you will put the link so that uh, people, all, all the persons uh, who are listening to us can visit our website and also find out more about our work, what we do around the world, and also the ongoing cases that we have in so many countries where human rights defenders are really facing, uh, are really risking um, their lives on a daily basis. So very, thank you very much for this initiative and I remain available for anything else. Thank you very much. After listening to the words of Mariam, I doubt there is much more we can add. Nevertheless, I will just stress one of the things Mariam put emphasis on. Luckily, we live in a democratic country where we can make our voices heard. Mariam is stressed for, in a further conversation, the importance of asking our governments to condition any collaboration they have with African countries to the respect of human rights, being monitoring specifically important. If our countries are willing to provide financial aid, they must make sure that projects where this aid is distributed are monitored so they, they take into account human rights and that they're not diluted by corruptive practices that many times lead in never reaching those who most need them. Most conflict today concentrates in the provinces of Kivu, Kasai and Ituri. To understand the search of violence better, we must flash back to 1997, when Rwandan troops invaded the Congo and set President Kabila as the new head of the country. From that moment on, First and Second African-Congo Wars broke out. These wars have also been called the African World War, a conflict that is somewhat still going on and has brought with it extreme suffering. It stemmed from the refugee crisis after the Rwandan genocide, when Hutu refugees fled to the eastern Congolese region and formed rebel groups against the Tutsi. From that moment on, conflict progressively grew stronger and the Congolese government was unable to halt it. President Kabila has been considered a puppet president from neighboring Uganda and Rwanda, who invaded the Congolese territory, displacing the long-term corrupted dictator Mobutu. Nevertheless, when Kabila dismissed his Rwandan chief of staff, this, who was backed by other rebel groups, announced his defection from the government. 
And from this moment on, the conflict became increasingly complex as other African countries started to back up Kabila's forces, among which stood neighboring Angola, Zimbabwe, as well as Chad and Namibia. On top of this, there were also non-state actors and respective countries' rebel groups with their own interests. One of the most important rebel groups which emerged out of this war was the M23 or March 23 movement, made of Rwandan Tutsis, allegedly supported by the Rwandan government. They supposedly reneged the peace accord signed by the government in 2009, a law enforced by the government which fushioned M23 rebels into the National Army has also been seen as a step in the wrong direction, as it has permitted some head rebels to commit atrocities. M23 rebel group founder Bosco Naganda has been sentenced to 30 years imprisonment by the International Criminal Court, or the ICC, for 18 counts including murder, rape, sexual slavery and using child soldiers. I do not want to make you more confused with this intricate war, but I will leave you with two questions to reflect upon. Why do we know so little about a recent war that involved so many African countries and which killed more than 5.4 million people, as well as being considered the largest, deadliest worldwide conflict since World War II? What was the role played by Western countries in this war? Maybe we know so little about this great conflict because it is too complex and the likes of the two European world wars to be studied in depth. On the other hand, it could be due to the influence that some Western powers poured into this scene. According to the Washington Post, the US presence in Rwanda after and during the genocide in the early 1990s somewhat contradictory. They were surprised by a Rwandan army that the US had trained. Although the degree of training was supposed to be focused on human rights defense, there were some Rwandan units who were trained by US JCET program, which included other more advanced skills that could have served Rwandan forces to start the war. Whilst the US supported Mobutu's overthrow, Rwanda's Tutsi president disguised a complex plan of national interests with regards to the Congolese territory that caught the US unaware, or so is claimed. Many argue that Rwanda played with a sense of guilt Americans held for failing to put an end to the Rwandan conflict. And Rwandan president Kagame was able to halt conflict, but at the same time had his own machinations as dictator. Should the US had been involved in training Rwandan troops in the first place? And why did the US handle the Rwandan genocide so badly? I think this is one of the numerous examples in which what seems to be a mission to restore peace by the Western powers ends up tragically changing history for the very worse. To this day, despite the peace accords of 2002, there's still an ongoing violence in the Congo. The current president, Felix Tshisekedi, has to deal with more than 100 different rebel groups in eastern Congo, including the Ugandan Ali Democratic Forces. 
There are more than 16,000 UN peacekeepers in the region. And despite this, there are currently 4.5 million internally displaced people within the DRC and more than 800,000 DRC refugees in other countries. Some conflict tracking organizations such as the Kibu Security Tracker keeps track of the violent insurgencies that occur in the different regions in Congo. The scene portrayed in their website is far from promising. Violent killings of civilians in conflict-stricken areas are still occurring as we speak. To finish this episode, I just want to leave you with a poem which was written by a team member of the CTP, Rosemarie Milazzo. And she wrote this poem for Masika, a woman she met and who suffered rape from the CNDP, the National Congress for Defense of the People rebel militia. This militia also killed her husband and raped and impregnated her two teenage daughters. And as she healed, Masika began to help other women who were suffering from similar traumas. And then seven years after the original incident, she was raped again by four rival soldiers. This poem might seem bleak, but it is the situation that a lot of people have to endure in the Congo today. Does the moon still shine, woman of Congo, as your heart overflows tears? Can the moon light your sky? Has the spring run dry? Has the light gone where no one knows? Sister of Congo, we see your sobs and hear such pain in your tears. The burden you bear, a life of fear, has barbed wire and trapped your heart. Can a cloth be woven to tell your tale? What color is fear? Where do you weave hurt? Is evil a thread? Where does war go? Is violence the border to contain the pain? Will it hold a crushed spirit? Is your life in vain? No. No wounded healer. No lives in vain. Those women you walk with find strength in you. The children you shelter find safety in you. Your care and compassion heal wounds so deep. Never despair. There's a hope we keep to build God's kingdom everywhere. The cloth we weave will hold dreams come true. Sister, we join hands with you.
Thank you for listening to our third episode of this series. Next week, we will be moving on to another category within these podcasts. And we will be talking about some economic dilemmas linked to international trade and conflict minerals extraction in the DRC. So don't miss next week's episodes. Have a great rest of the week and take care. Congo crée un cookie en gloutis sa richesse.